Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. This is Let's Go Blues Radio. I am your host, Jeff Ponder. This is Season 8, Episode 8, Franchise Episode number 194. We keep rolling along with the Behind Enemy Lines Summer Series. Hope you're enjoying it. We've had a lot of fun so far, and uh, this one's promises to be good. I think you're going to enjoy it. We'll get to our guest here in a little bit. First of all, I want to thank the Wild and Free for the use of their song, Fire. Uh, always good stuff to hear. Check them out on YouTube to hear some more of their stuff. Uh, support local music. And as I said before, support your local PA guy. That is Tom Calhoun. Uh, very awesome job he does with our Open. We always appreciate it, Tom. Uh, check him out. You can hire him for events. You can listen to his audiobooks. You can hire him for audiobooks. PAGuyTom.com So if you're going to support your local music and your local PA guy, you might as well support local podcasts. Check out the Let'sGoBlues.com shop and consider buying a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker. All proceeds are going back into the show. So we are not making money here. We just like to uh, be able to afford what a podcast takes. So, uh, yes, please uh, help us out if you can. And there's some great stuff. Kurt's designed some great stuff that goes up in there. And, uh, you know, just some some really cool things. So make sure you check it out if you haven't already. That's letsgoblues.com shop. Also, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at letsgobluesradio.com. So I'm sure you've figured out how to listen to us if you're listening to this right now. So keep doing that. Uh, also, if you are on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating uh, and leave us a review. We love hearing from you guys, plus it helps others find the show. Well, before we get into our usual segments that we've had in the Behind Enemy Lines series, uh, should mention Big Day St. Louis, Jordan Biddington. Uh, as you all have probably already know, Big two-year contract extension worth $4.4 million AAV. So uh, that will take him to when he's a UFA, which is the unfortunate part of this. But, I mean, come on, people. Let's face it. Uh, He was probably asking, okay, I want a two-year contract or an eight-year contract. And uh, the Blues were probably saying, we want to give you one year. Uh, It's just that's just how business works, folks. I know a lot of people are upset about that. But you got to think about what Jordan Biddington wants. He wants, yes, to prove it. You got to think after a great season he had. But uh, at the same time, 
he knows that if if he has a strong two years here, he's going to cash in at free agency. And if you look at the way the Blues' uh, salary cap is structured, I think that uh, this is kind of intentional by Armstrong because there's a lot of contracts coming off the books. And uh, him, Jordan Bennington that is, and Robert Thomas will be up for contract extension. So I think this was by design. You're going to see the Steen contract fall off and all of those in the next couple of years. And I think that uh, that they're prepared if Jordan Bennington does uh, have a strong two years here, as we are hoping he does. Um, I think that this was by design by Doug Armstrong. So, um, you know, don't uh, don't worry. Don't fret too much about that. Just enjoy, again, keep enjoying the summer and enjoy that, uh, you know, we're about to raise a banner here in St. Louis in a few short months. Uh, also, for those that want to complain about it, and I know that it's weird. A lot of people are probably hearing me say this and, what, there's people complaining about the Bennington contract? But, yes, there actually has been. Uh, it's it's kind of surprising to see, and I get it. You know, I mean, we're all fans. We all, uh, you know, wear our heart on our sleeves. I get it. You know, I'm not, uh, not going to chastise anyone for, for disagreeing with what the Blues are doing. God knows I've done it over the years. I mean, I've been a fan since about 1990, and I've disagreed with almost every move <laughs> that's been made, it seems. But, uh, you know, I will say, though, that if you're going to complain about Jordan Biddington and his salary, a lot of people have said, well, you can't have $9 million tied up in goal. Well, you can. Ask the Florida Panthers, who just signed Sergei Bobrovsky to a $10 million contract. Uh, per year. Um, but if you're going to complain about that, don't blame about Bennington's contract. The guy just got you a Stanley Cup. Uh, $4.4 million is pretty good for a guy who stepped in and honestly uh, he was the biggest reason, in my opinion, the Blues were able to turn things around and win their first Stanley Cup. Uh, if you want to point fingers, and, and I'm not saying it's his fault either, but when you're paying your backup goalie $4.35 million per season, that is the bigger issue. Uh, whether Bennington uh, kind of falls the next two years, which I don't think he will, but if he does, you know, he's still your starter going into the next season. So $4.4 million is not a bad price tag for a starting goalie. Uh, your backup making about the same amount, that's where the issue is. So, you know, again, you can blame the Armstrong contract extension there, giving it to him a little sooner than it was probably necessary. Uh, but uh, for those of you who are kind of upset with uh, Bennington getting a, a, a hefty raise, come on, he deserves it. Uh, just just watch the save, as I've said before, uh, the save on Nordstrom there in the third period of Game 7. That right there is what uh, gives me the contract extension there and why I'm okay with it. We'll probably have a live show here soon to discuss the uh, the re-signings, the, the Fab re-signing, all that uh, here in a bit. I don't know when, but I'm sure we're planning on it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we will we will discuss that in depth on one of our live shows. So just stay tuned to our Twitter account, LGB Radio, as well as Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Let's Go Blues, I believe. Just search for Let's Go Blues in your search bar, and you should find us. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll be having a live show, so stay tuned there, and that's where you can find out when the live show will be. Well, folks, enough serious talk here. Let's uh, let's get down to partying, shall we? Let's keep the party going. So in this one, we're hearing from Joshua in North Carolina. I hear Joshua 
And man, I know Friends, people who don't listen or watch Friends are probably thinking, why does this guy watch Friends? But eh, I grew up with two sisters. Uh, whatever here, Joshua, I think Joshua. You know, uh, Rachel from Friends, anybody? All right, I'm just going to get into the email now. Uh, Joshua from North Carolina says, Hey, y'all, I'm a St. Louisan, born and raised. Growing up every year equaled Cardinal baseball in the summer and fall and blues hockey in the winter and spring. My dad raised me to be a diehard for both teams. And while I have fond memories of the late 90s and early aughts, he means... uh, 2000s? I really cut my teeth as a fan in the post-lockout years. As a baseball player, it felt good to have the Cardinals be so good, but I always desperately hoped the Blues would follow in their steps. I always said I'd trade an embarrassing amount of losing Cardinal seasons for just one cup. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you there, Joshua. Year after year passed with my dad and I and I hitting up Savis slash Scott Trade and having to watch as the Blues were miserable. I distinctly remember April 10th, 2009, being at the arena when the Blues clinched their first playoff appearance in years. I was elated. Still, 10 years passed with no cup. I moved to Western North Carolina in 2018, and it was really hard to leave Missouri behind, especially going to games in the winter with my dad. It was even harder when this year's team, so ripe with promise, was absolutely miserable to start. I remember constantly telling my wife, they'll figure it out, they'll figure it out as I watched loss after loss it was hard being in a new place with few friends no hockey fans and no dad to share in my misery as my team disappointed again and again however things began to look up in November when I found out my wife and I would be having our first child even though the blues sucked I started dreaming about sharing my fandom with him like my dad did with me the thought of seeing the blues first cup with my dad and my son by my side was better than I could have imaged. But the Blues clearly had other plans. As they marched through the second half and through the playoffs, I was a man possessed. Everyone in my small North Carolina city thought I was nuts. And when the Blues won the cup, I couldn't contain myself, running around my house screaming and crying while my wife and friends laughed at me. I didn't care. It was the best sports moment of my life, and even though my son won't remember this cup, I'll carry this year the comeback story phone calls with my dad about how maybe this would be the year, staying up late to watch Game 7 against Dallas with me forever. I discovered y'all's podcast back in December when I was desperate for more blues talk in my life. Not only did I have fun experiencing the comeback and cup run with y'all in spirit, but I felt like I learned more about the game than I ever had my entire life. Now I'm constantly refreshing my feed, waiting for the next live show or behind enemy lines episode. Thanks for all you three do. We're champs, guys. Let's go Blues. Sincerely, Josh. Uh, first of all, congratulations, Josh, on, on having your first child. I don't know if you've had it yet, but uh, if not, I'm sure it's coming. Uh, congratulations to you. I know it's a, a very exciting moment for you and your family. But, uh, hey, you know what? Even more exciting is the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I said that on a show uh, recently that uh, the night the Blues won the Cup was the best night of my life. I hope my son never hears that because he has been a joy in my life. But my God, uh, watching this team finally do it all, it was uh, it was something that I'm going to take with me to my grave because that was uh, something I will never forget. Also, thanks for the kind words about the podcast. Uh, we love hearing about how people have found us and how they stuck with us. 
And uh, hearing so many people kind of say that they're experiencing the the cup run with us, uh, that's awesome to hear. Um, you know, because, yeah, you go back and listen to our episodes. It's so funny to hear the way we were talking in December and even early January. And, uh, you know, even comments like, what do you expect? This team's not going to win the cup this year. You know, even in, like, February making that comment. So it's uh, it's just been so much fun to, to kind of relive and, uh, again, I'm. Uh, I really appreciate everything you said about the shows, and uh, hey, plenty of behind enemy lines episodes uh, coming for you this summer. So don't uh, don't need to refresh so often. Uh, but uh, there is a schedule up. I need to post it again probably on Twitter. If you check out my Twitter at jponder94, uh, I do have a schedule of uh, when all these are released. If you are interested, uh, also the you trade an embarrassing amount of losing Cardinal seasons for just one cup. I think that's what we're doing right now. That's kind of been what I've been telling people over the summer when they start complaining about the Cardinals. It's like, you know what? How many of us said that we would replace any winning Cardinal season for years, years upon years upon years for just one Stanley Cup? Well, you know what? I think we're seeing that right now, folks. So don't get so mad at your Cardinals. Uh, They they probably had to sacrifice a little bit just so uh, the hockey gods will award St. Louis a Stanley Cup. Uh, I forgot to mention it at the open of this segment, but if you would like to participate in the uh, Keep the Party Going segment, you can. Just email us at radio at letsgoblues.com. We'd love to hear from you. Again, radio at letsgoblues.com. And we've only got about two or three lined up for the future episodes so i am currently uh asking for you to send in your email as soon as you hear this all right folks now it's time to get down to the nitty-gritty i'd like to introduce our guest drew johnson a boston bruins correspondent of the hockeywriters.com joins me and yes we talk all things 2019 stanley cup final This episode on Let's Go Blues Radio Behind Enemy Lines, we are talking Boston Bruins, and I'm joined by Drew Johnson of thehockeywriters.com. He is a Boston Bruins correspondent for them. We'll get to Drew here in a second. First, I want to go over some of the stats of these two teams. Uh, All-time record for the Blues against the Boston Bruins, 137 games played, 53 wins, 66 losses, 18 ties and zero overtime losses. The first meeting between these two teams was on November 1st, 1967. That was a 5-1 win for the St. Louis Blues. I'm sure both Drew and I remember that fondly. Blues lost to the Bruins in the 1970 Stanley Cup Final, four games to nothing. And, of course, that was the famous uh, Bobby Orr flying overtime goal. Uh, So that was the, the third time the Blues had been in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Mike Liute, his first appearance as a Blue and in the NHL, as uh, he was in the WHA before that, so keep that in mind, uh, was on October 23rd, 1979 versus the Bruins. He had no goals on 15 shots in a 5-5 tie. So that was his appearance, not his first start. Uh, Blues, and, and here's some recent history for you, and I'm not rubbing any salt into the wounds here, hopefully, of our guest. Uh, the Blues' first Stanley Cup final win came against, uh, obviously, against the Bruins. That was uh, just recently, June 29th, 2019. Carl Gunnarsson with an overtime 
game-winning goal. Blues won that one 2-1. to one. And then, of course, the Blues' first Stanley Cup championship occurred against the Boston Bruins, something I thought we would never say on this show. June 12th, 2019, in Boston, it was a 4-1 win and a Game 7 victory for the Blues. Again, that's recent history. Anyone listening to the show probably knows those last two stats, but uh, I thought they were worth mentioning here at the top as this is uh, kind of one of our marquee episodes. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, let's get our guest in here, Drew Johnson from thehockeywriters.com. He's a Boston Bruins correspondent over there. Um, he's active on Twitter, but we'll get to that in a bit. Drew, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I hope I wasn't uh, uh, hurting you a little too much with that recent history talk. Oh, uh, no. I'm still still getting over it a little bit here, but uh, <laughs> this is good. This is like therapy right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that, that that's why I brought people on this show. It's uh, it's therapeutic for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drew, so I want to talk to you. Uh, there's a lot of things we could talk about between the Blues and Bruins. You know, we could do some research on that 69 series. We could talk about, I remember there was a game a couple years ago, David Backus had a big game against the Bruins that kind of catapulted the Blues to finish strong in the season and get them into the playoffs that year. I want to say that was 09, maybe, maybe even 2012. I can't remember exactly, but you know, we talked about it, you and I before this, and we said, People want to hear about the 2019 Stanley Cup final. That's what people are going to be tuning into this show with. So let's just get right into that. Um, I want to talk to you first before we actually get into the final being played. The road these two teams took. Everyone that's listening to this show that's a Blues fan knows the road the Blues went through, but might be a little bit bit fuzzy on the road the Bruins took. Now, uh, obviously, to me... The uh, toughest opponent that the Bruins faced in the Eastern Conference playoffs was in the first round against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Going into that series, when, when the playoffs started, uh, did, did you think the Bruins were going to take that one? Or did you think it was going to go to the Maple Leafs, which a lot of people had picked against the Bruins in that series? Uh, personally, I still had faith in the Bruins, uh, given the recent history and also just the uh, the team's experiencing uh long series. And I think everyone knew it was going to go six or seven. Um, and so I was fairly confident and, and going into game seven, I was confident, not as confident as their past series, like uh, last year's and uh, back in 2013, I feel like there was a little more confidence in Boston during those uh, game sevens, but uh, I still felt pretty good going into that game seven and knew, um once Tampa was out we the Bruins had like a real real good shot uh if they could get over Toronto I think there was a lot of Blues fans that after Nashville was knocked out and after uh, the Blues had beaten the Jets a lot of people saw them as the uh the 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 biggest opponents the Blues would be facing in the Western Conference playoffs um so I, I I hear you on that sentiment but let me ask you, I think there was still a lot of doubt with Blues fans. You know, Dallas, good enough to beat Nashville. So they still got to get through Dallas. Plus, Dallas had given the Blues so much trouble throughout the regular season. And then you got San Jose and uh, 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 drawn a blank on who they played in the second round. But we, uh, Colorado, um, those two teams still looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. You say that there was some confidence there in Boston. 
did after they beat the the Maple Leafs and then you saw the the Lightning get knocked out, was it almost like okay, it's it's the the cup to lose for the Bruins? Um, I definitely thought uh, they had a lot to lose then. Um, I think they were certainly favorites in the East after that series. But uh, they played two really good teams with uh, Columbus in the second round. Uh, that was a close one. I think uh, during that series, uh, when the Bruins went down, a lot of confidence was lost. Um, and they battled back, though, and uh, got the win. And then uh, I don't think anyone really expected a sweep of Carolina um, I expected that to be a long-fought battle as well, uh, given just how exciting that Carolina team is was all season um, and what they had done in the playoffs to date. So, uh, But after that sweep, I think there was a lot of confidence, but the, uh, the one worry, I think, in the minds of Bruins fans was that long break that came before. Um, I think a lot of people were uh, thinking, you know, the Bruins were on a hot streak and it could come to an end uh, just because of that break. Um, obviously, they persevered through that, but uh, I, there was a lot of nervousness around that. Uh, once they went up uh, two games against Carolina, uh, I think a lot of people felt there was no turning back. Yeah, that uh, man, that Carolina series, I I, uh, I was surprised at how much the Bruins really seemed to dominate them and um, you know, even with Dano Chara not playing in game four, mm-hmm. it uh, to me really seemed like the Bruins took a stranglehold on that lead and really kind of never gave any breathing room for the Hurricanes to battle back in that series. So after that series ends, they, you know, the, it was already known, okay, well, four games, the Western Conference final, I think at that time, it was obvious it was going to go at least five games. Um, so, but it, it turns out because of just strange scheduling in the NHL that it's a it's a ten day break. I think it was a ten day break for the the Bruins. Yeah, and uh, the Blues I think had like a, a six day break or a five day break or something. So it was mm-hmm. a long break for the Blues too. But you know, obviously, you always hear about the rust factor. Oh, teams look rusty going into uh, the Stanley Cup final if they have a long break. Were you worried about rust there with the Bruins? Yeah, I was definitely a little worried about the uh, the break there. Ten days is a long time in a hockey season. You never really see that. Even during the All-Star break, I think it's only only about a week, so you never really see that. And I definitely think, especially for the younger players, I was worried about the rust. Uh, I think the veterans had enough experience in, uh, with those breaks, uh, seeing as though they'd been in a, a few Stanley Cup finals before. Um, but those younger players is definitely, uh, something that I think not only I, but a lot of fans, uh, were worried about, but something cool they did was a scrimmage prior to the final, uh, in the garden, uh, sold tickets to and everything. It was packed. So I think that helped them have that, uh, big game, uh, atmosphere still, uh, despite the long break, kind of keep their, uh, keep their heads in the game in a way. Uh, and I think that that definitely helped a lot. All right, so the series against the Blues starts. Um, well, obviously, the Blues win against the San Jose Sharks. Going into the series, what were your thoughts? Did you think this was going to be a long series? There was a lot. I, I heard a couple people say the longer this series goes, the more it benefits the Bruins and their depth and their uh, veteran leadership. Obviously, that turned out to not be the case. But going into the series, uh, what did you think? What do you think was the uh, the, the the ideal scenario for the Bruins? Do you think winning game one 
was supposed to be something that was going to really push them to win the series. You think taking both at home, what uh, go back to your thought process then and what would have been most important for the Bruins to take the series? Yeah. Uh, you know, prior to the final two watching that Western conference final, um, I saw pros and cons and uh, having the blues. Um, I think the blues were a more evenly matched team in terms of uh, just how the team was built, you know, still a physical team with plenty of scoring, uh, plenty of depth. Uh, whereas San Jose, you know, was more of a high-flying star-powered team, uh, which has its own benefits and own uh, uh, drawbacks. Uh, I was pretty content with the Blues matchup, and I, I thought it would go pretty far. Um, and I think, you know, winning on home ice was going to be so important, which is why I had the Bruins' favor just with that extra home game in a Game 7. Uh, throughout the whole series, uh, there wasn't many uh, home ice wins. Uh, I think the Bruins won only game one on home ice. So going into that series, I was really, you know, uh, leaning heavily on the Bruins needing to win the first two games at home uh, to feel comfortable because just one win uh, in game one was not going to be enough. Yeah, that was a tough win for the Blues. I remember, or I'm sorry, tough loss for the Blues in game one. I, I um, It's funny because I, I was telling people, uh, looking back at the San Jose series, the Blues basically got completely dominated in Game One against the Sharks. They they came out, they didn't look ready, they they looked like a, the lesser team, and everybody was saying, "Oh, they're done. Sharks are going to take the series." Mm-hmm. And then when the Blues lost Game One, it was a, almost similar. I feel like well, the Blues they they jumped out to that two nothing lead, yeah. and it was it was huge. You know, it was like, "Oh my God, they're they're actually going to win a Stanley Cup final game," mm-hmm. and then you just see that the wheels fall apart for the blues. For me, I think it was more the Bruins. I thought there was a little bit of that rust factor there. Mm-hmm. And and then once the game kept going, they started figuring out their game again. They started getting back to hitting and forechecking. And then all of a sudden they're pouncing on the blues. The blues are taking dumb penalties and, and it was all Bruins uh, after about the first three minutes into the second period. Um, and people were saying, well, the Blues are done. There's no way the, they're going to come back. The Bruins are the better team. I didn't agree with that. I thought, you know what? We saw the same thing against San Jose. Um, and then the Blues obviously came out in game two and won that one and, and shut all the critics up. But with the way the, 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 the Bruins came back and won that game, how confident were you and maybe even people in your, uh, in your circle of friends or circle of family uh, that the Bruins were, hey, they got a game one win. That's going to push them the rest of the way. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, a game one win is a huge leg up. Um, was still worried about game two. But yeah, there's definitely that rust factor that uh, that reared its head in uh, those fir- that first period. I think it was really like the first 10 to 15 minutes uh, where the Bruins were really lagging. Going into the second period, I think they, they had finished the first off strong. I think it they got uh, two power plays at the end of that first period that uh, allowed them to gain their confidence. And then that Tarasenko goal in the first minute of the second period was so rough. Um, I think then there was a, it was a, it was a heavy, heavy heart after that Tarasenko goal. But uh, you know, the Bruins responded right away. And uh, from there, there's definitely, I know I've said it a lot, but there was some confidence and, uh, but still going into game two, I felt like it was still anyone's series. Um, I think getting that win was really important, but obviously the Bruins weren't able to come up with one. 
Yeah, that uh, that man when they scored that second goal, I thought this is it. This is the this is the Blues, uh, you know, come pulling away with a victory here, and and things obviously turned around. So going into Game Two, uh, that was definitely one that um, I thought the Blues had to win. I'm not going to say a must win because that uh, phrase I think is thrown around a little too much. But uh, mm-hmm. obviously the Blues come back, win Game Two. Um, and a, a good game by Boston, really. I mean, you look at the, uh, at the stats there, uh, you know, Boston played solid. That was a, uh, a three, two win for the blues. For those who don't remember, that was the Carl Gunnarsson winning goal. Uh, Boston got out the quick lead, Charlie Coyle on the power play. Um, and then of course it was a back and forth after that Portuzo, Nordstrom, Tarasenko all scored in regulation, uh, all in the first period too. uh, Jordan Biddington. Had to make some saves early and uh, 23 shots against uh, in the game. And and then uh, I thought, again, turning the game around, I thought the Bruins looked real good to start. The Blues came out and were resilient as we've seen them be all season. And it just, they looked good. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and it was... It was exciting for me, obviously, for St. Louis because that was the Blues' first ever Stanley Cup final win. That monkey was pulled off their back. But mm-hmm. going back to St. Louis, I think we all thought, at least in St. Louis, we were thinking first home game, first time the Blues are going to be you know, hosting a home game in 49 years in the Stanley Cup final. And um, there was a lot of hope that there were, that was going to be a solid game, if not a win, at least a good game for both teams. Didn't turn out that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, with game two, I think, uh, you know, the scoring open, it was wide open in the first period. Um, and then the goaltenders just shut everything down. I, I thought it was going to be uh, way more goals, way more high scoring uh, a game than it wound up being. Um, and I think in that game, Tuka Rask really kept the Bruins in it as he did all postseason long uh, without Rask playing the way he was. Um, the Bruins wouldn't have even made it to the final. Uh, he, he was so good. He was by far the Bruins MVP of the playoffs. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if the Bruins went on the win, if he would have gotten the, uh, the con Smythe there, but yeah, going into game three, I think it was a huge response from the Bruins after that tough overtime loss, uh, seven goals, seven to two, um, it was just huge. I mean, they opened up the game with four goals, three in the first, and then, uh, the first goal of the second period. Um, and then I think what was really important for them too was finishing off the game. Uh, it was an empty netter by Achari and, uh, then Marcus Johansson got a, uh, a power play goal at the end. And I think, uh, you know, that had me really, uh, confident going into game, uh, game four after that. Um, with that, just that, uh, you know, the exclamation point on the game, uh, you know, not letting, uh, St. Louis score last uh and i think i i mean i'm assuming but you can speak to this if it uh it, you know diminished hopes for uh st louis after that uh after that game well it, it's funny as we talk on this show all the time about how um it just seems like especially in the playoffs fans are so bipolar that you know y- you lose game one and it's oh my god they're they're gonna lose the whole series they're gonna yeah. be swept and then in game two they win and it's Oh my God, they're going to win the next four. They're going to do, they're going to do this. And then game three, they lose seven to two and it's, well, they're going to lose. There's no way they win another game in the series. Mm -hmm. And, and I will say that in terms of, I mean, I was fairly confident uh, throughout the playoffs. I thought 
the way the Blues showed to be resilient the entire playoff was something that I needed to remind myself. Uh, just a, a little personal note: when the uh, when the Blues uh, were they lost the uh, in in Winnipeg the the first series of the playoffs, they had lost. They won the first two, lost the next two, and were down in Game Five late in the third period. They ended up coming back and winning that game, but before they came back. I jumped on Twitter and was like, this team's done. There's no way. They're not coming back. They're done. And first round exit again. Lo and behold, they win that game. Shut me up. Made me realize, you know what? This team is more resilient than past Blues teams. Don't ever count them out again. And mm-hmm. and I didn't. Uh, every single game they lost, I said, they're going to come back with a win, which they did for the most part. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and so then you look at... Uh, this game and it was a 7-2 game this was the most i'll say nervous that i was uh going into another game of the entire playoff because even though i knew this was a resilient bunch and they could come back and and still prove to do something i thought those three goals in the first period and then again the fourth goal by Pasternak with uh, 41 seconds into the second period that was a bad goal for Bennington to give up it was along the ice it just went through his legs mm-hmm. and that was where I was like, oh boy, you know, I know Jordan Bennington has been Mr. Resilient. He's been the leader of this group, being able to come back after victories. But that was the first time that I really saw him just not have any type of game. I mean, he looked pedestrian in that game. And uh, granted, the Blues is, the Blues did not help him. He didn't have a lot of defense there in the first period. Um, you know, they they were kind of walking all over the Blues there. But um I thought going into game four, I'm like, they're going to put Bennington back in, which is the right move. Get your mm-hmm. starter back out there. But man, I was, I was nervous. I was like, I, if they give up an early goal, this series could be over. So I'm sure there was a lot of confidence in Boston, you know, going up two one and a big win in game three, but knowing the blues resiliency, I'm sure that there was probably a part of Boston that said, Hey, series isn't over yet. Oh, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, I think everybody was pumped up after that win, but uh you know, it's, it it goes it goes two ways when uh you know, a team suffers a big loss like that, either they show up or they don't. Um and clearly the Blues showed up uh and were it was a close game. They were with them every step of the way though. Uh in that game, I never felt as though the Bruins really had full control. Um, there was never a point where I think they had a, a very, very strong stretch, uh, for more than a few shifts. And, uh, but yeah, there's definitely, uh, again, so much confidence. I feel like I've said the word like 20 times now, but, uh, it, it, it was crushing to lose that game, uh, after, you know, such a great performance in a, in game three. Um, but I think even then there was, uh, there was a feeling that going back home for game five, the Bruins, uh, would still they still had a leg up in the in what was now a you know a three game series um i think people expected the bruins to respond in that sort of way that uh st louis had uh but clearly that wasn't the case yeah this was uh game 5 was i mean this is two goals from ryan o'reilly in in game 4 game 5 he opens the scoring again uh just 55 seconds into the second period and uh, he's going on his tear, which I'm sure we'll talk more about O'Reilly here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Blues go up 2 nothing in that game, um, and, and this was the trip. This was the play 
-hmm. people talk about um, this was uh, the the newspaper the next day. The next headline in Saint in the St. Louis Post Dispatch was "What a trip," which I know set off uh, Mr. Portnoy there at uh, <laughs> at Barstool. Oh, Barstool, man. <laughs> we will talk about. I was going to say we're going to talk about them too, and the fact that you say uh, you shake your head that. That makes me very happy and makes me like you more. So, <laughs> um, but uh, so that was the trip. David Perron scores at ten thirty six in the third period, puts the Blues up two nothing. Now the Bruins do score again after that, just a couple minutes later. But uh, Tyler Bozak puts a trip on. Uh, was it Akari? Is that right? Achari, yeah. Achari, yeah. And uh, he puts a trip on Achari, and all of a sudden uh, the Blues are up two nothing. Everybody was saying that this was just, you know, absolute crap. Um, you know, even even Blues fans were on Twitter and Facebook saying, yeah, the Blues got away with one there. Um, mm -hmm. What was your take on the trip? I mean, I'm sure you were enraged at first, but, um, you know, what what was uh, what were the, the, the words of wisdom that might have been coming out of your mouth or just were there any words of wisdom? Was it just pure fan emotion coming out? Um, I think I took about a 24 hour break from Twitter after that one. It was pretty <laughs> I don't blame you one bit. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I think it was clearly a blown call. I think, uh, you know, throughout the series, just, you know, interacting on social media with some blues fans, um, and blues writers, I have to give credit, uh, to St. Louis, very stand up, uh, people, uh, you know, admitting, that was a rough call. And, you know, I think throughout the series, you know, being pretty, I mean, everyone's biased towards their team, but, you know, kind of taking that middle of the road when, uh, uh, when it needs to be taken. And yeah, I mean, I was definitely enraged. The fan in me was enraged. The, uh, the writer in me was also enraged. I think it was just, uh, you know, there's blown calls every game. I I'd say, I mean, it's the sport is so fast, but that's one, that's a call you, you, you gotta make. I think yeah. there, there really is no exception for that one late in the game and the third period in a, in a very close game. Uh, and it wound up being the difference uh, that that's so rough. And I think, uh, um, yeah, that's just one you can't miss. Uh, and it was crushing for sure. Yeah. I, I, I mean, Hey, I'll, I was the first one to say it in St. Louis, you know, yeah. the minute it happened, I, I looked at my wife and I'm like, Oh my God, the blues yeah. just got away with it. And then David Perron scores two seconds after I say that. And I'm like, Oh, Oh man. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, and you know, and uh, you know, we could, there was fans debating, well, how can Bruins fans be mad? They have Brad Marchand on their team. I, <laughs> I didn't get into that whole discussion. I mean, that's yeah. whole, that's a story for another day, but um when I saw it, there was some people, and, and I could see why people thought this. Now, I, I didn't agree with it. We had this discussion, a long discussion on this show after that game about the trip. Uh, but we, uh, there were some people saying that, that that could have been a dive by Achari. Um, I, I don't agree with it being a dive. I think, I think maybe there was, and, and there was even a video that came out. Somebody tried to explain it. Wasn't even a Blues fan about why it was a dive, how his body went the opposite way or whatever the, the explanation was. I read that as, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I read it as Bozak was coming from behind him. He did see him coming, but I don't know if you've ever ice skated or if you play hockey, but you get your foot even touched sometimes. Like last night I played, 
And there was a guy that came from behind me, uh, battling with him in front of the net. And his he went to skate forward, tapped skates with me, knocked me over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're on these thin blades. I feel like it took him by surprise that the skates collided. He didn't react well enough. He wasn't able to to fully process what happened right away. And it took him out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I would say that that was more of what it was than a dive. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people forget that they're on skates. They're not running around out there. Um, and yeah, that's, that's tough to recover from. Uh, and yeah, I don't see it as a dive at all. Um, I also don't just knowing the player Chari is and, uh, and was for the Bruins now that he's, uh, moving on. He, uh, he was always a stand-up guy, always a respectable player. Um, and, you know, while there are definitely players in the league and probably some on the Bruins that I could see, you know, pulling a dive, he's he's one, especially in a game like that, and especially in the playoffs where, you know, I think it, basically every game I saw, at least that the Bruins played, the refs were in a very much a let-them-play mentality. So trying to draw a penalty, it was, it was up in the air as to whether or not that would actually be called and in a close game like that, you can't risk it. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see in the first place why he would dive. And secondly, looking at it, uh, I don't, I don't think it was a dive at all. So something else we talked about on that play, um, on this show a lot and something I kind of blasted, uh, Achari for, I thought, um, that's a play. Cause you, you know, the, there's a picture and I, I'll admit not to again, rub salt in the wounds. It's, it's actually my background on my phone. Um, <laughs> of the blues celebrating behind Achari and he's on his knee kind of looking yeah. at the ref, like what the hell, you know? Yeah, no, that is a good photo there <laughs> for a blues fan. It's a great photo. Yeah. Um, but, but I have to ask you, like I went on blast because I said, um, how are you not getting up and getting back in the play? It to me looked like he stayed on his knee just to complain at the ref saying, what the hell? Now I've heard others say other, even, even people in the media, that he was hurt. Uh, he had to go out. Uh, he had to leave. I didn't see it. I don't know if he left the bench or not, but that's what some people have, have claimed with me. I still question whether he could have gotten up and, and tried to get back in the play rather than try to sell the call. What's your take on that? Yeah, that was definitely one that's uh, kind of 50, 50 in my mind. Um, I mean, I could see how he would have been banged up after the, uh, after that, but um, yeah, I think you got to make every effort to get back in the play there. Um, even if he did, I mean, I don't a hundred percent know if it would have changed the result of the play just cause he was out of the play after that trip. Um, but still, I think, I think you got to do everything you can. You just gotta, if it, if you think it's a call, you got to bank on, you know, the ref, you know, taking your side, um, and, you know, talk to him after the play. Uh, give him an earful after the play, especially after that missed call. But uh, yeah, from whistle to whistle, you got to be in the game. You got to be playing. So, uh, you know, if he was hurt, I mean, that's a, that's a good excuse. But uh, if he was just trying to sell the call, there's no excuse there. You got to, you got to get up and keep skating. It reminds me of um, a time when uh, I want to say it was the, I could be wrong here. I want to say it was the 99 final might've been 2000, but I know it was the Dallas stars. Um, it was either Sergei Zubov or Daryl Sador. I think it might have been Sador. Uh, blocked a shot. I think it was in the knee and basically gave him a dead leg. He couldn't even stand on it. And 
it was on a penalty kill, and he literally crawled to the front of the net to at least like hope he could maybe block a shot from there. Yeah, and that is to me one of the greatest moments. And you know, I've I've grown up playing a defenseman. I've always been told to sacrifice your body if you have to to stop the puck from going in. So that to me was one of the greatest moments, and and I love seeing that kind of stuff when players do that kind of thing. And it, so yeah, when I saw that, I thought, you I don't care how much you're hurting, you got to get up and do something. So that's why it irked me so bad. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, the Gregory Campbell shift uh, yes. in 2011 with uh, the Bruins, and oh, I, I once in a while I just have to go back and search that up on YouTube and watch it. Um, and then actually, uh, Joking Nordstrom had a, uh, a similar situation. These playoffs, they might've even been in the final. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but he, he went down and blocked a shot. Um, and then, you know, struggled to his feet, stayed up was, uh, I mean, not as badly banged up as Campbell was on that sequence. And if you haven't seen that sequence, sequence blues fans, definitely look it up uh, as a hockey fan. I'm sure you'll appreciate it, but, uh, and he blocked another shot. So it, that's just the playoff mentality right there. You got to do everything you can. Uh, even if your, your leg is gone, you got to use your <laughs> leg and your arms to your other leg and your arms to get back into the play. Um, yeah. and I, I wish I saw that from Achari on that, uh, yeah. sequence with the trip. Now, I will say if he's, if it was a concussion, then yeah, I give him, I give him a break. Oh, there. Yeah, you kind of yeah. don't know where you're at, but he played later in the game. So I, I mm-hmm. don't think that was what the issue was. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, uh, Blues uh, take a 3-2 series lead back to St. Louis, um, and the Blues uh, just this was a good, this was a great 60 minutes. I thought for both teams, that's 60, uh, 40. Let's say 40 minutes for both teams. Yeah. I thought the Blues came out with a lot of pressure. Um, now the Bruins did score on the uh, the five on three. Brad Marchand with uh, just a, a one of his patented goals, just a beautiful shot on a one timer on the five on three. And then, uh, so so going in, for, when you look at, at this game in a microscope and you, you say first period, Blues, 20 minutes, yeah, they're down one nothing, but it's been a good game. Bennington mm-hmm. looks good. Rask looks good. Um, and just the offense is there. Maybe the Blues aren't clicking on a couple passes. The ice is choppy, which has kind of been an issue for, for the entire series, if you ask me, mm-hmm. um, just with the humidity in, in both Boston and St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and, and, but, but and then you look at the second period again, it's scoreless. It's a close game, man. It's looking, it's looking like the blues have a chance here to still clinch at home. And it's looking like Boston has a good chance to still, uh, go back for game seven sets up for a wonderful, what should be a wonderful third period. Nope. <laughs> it's uh it was uh, we with one of the co-hosts well, maybe not for show, you but not for us <laughs> <laughs> but uh one of the co-hosts of this show uh bought tickets to that game because he's like man i want if there's a chance that the blues can raise the cup at home i want to see it and he he joked that not only was it a blowout they really couldn't even celebrate a goal because when the blues did score at 1201 that was the one that uh they didn't know it went in right away so it goes behind it goes behind Rask. The play keeps going, and then all of a sudden, you know, they the uh, they they call down uh, from Toronto and stop the play and say, yeah, yeah, that shot went in. So mm-hmm. really, Blues fans couldn't even really celebrate the goal. So 
bad all around experience for Blues fans. But uh, man, looking at that third period, Carlo scores, Kuhlman scores, and then O'Reilly, then Pasternak, Chara throws it in the empty net. Just a huge, resilient third period from the uh, Boston Bruins. And um, it just scarring for Blues fans because I think a lot of people at that point again went to the other end of the bipolar meter and said, mm-hmm. yeah, the series is over. <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, a huge lift here in Boston. Felt very good going into Game 7 after that. Going back to home ice, having been uh, able to pull out a Game 7 in 2011 fresh in mind, um, that statement in the third period really had people feeling good. Um, and I think, uh, you know, some credit goes to Bruce Cassidy, the coach, the head coach of the Bruins. Um, I've seen since he took over the team, I've seen him be able to turn, uh, the Bruins around between periods, uh, give them that extra boost. And I think, uh, you know, obviously no one really knows what he said other than the players and the staff in the locker room, but, um, you know, I, I assume he told them that one, a one nothing lead isn't good enough. And I think they all knew that, uh, you know, facing the blues, how the series has gone, um, how the blues path to the, uh, cup final had went. And, um, you know, they really showed up, uh, when they needed to, uh, I think, uh, if they had only, you know, even just tallied one more goal in the third, um, I think the blues would have had enough life to, uh, put up more than just that O'Reilly goal. Um, I think you would have seen them maybe pull away with it, uh, a comeback win. So I think that was really important to shut the Blues down in the third period for the Bruins. Uh, and I was hoping that that would leak into game seven. Uh, <laughs> but no. I think, and you know what? It, it kind of did, though, because when, when game seven opens, I mean, the, the crowd in Boston was insane. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it was nuts. I mean, I'm listening. We were, uh, we were, I actually went to the Enterprise Center for the watch party for, uh, for that. But you could still hear the crowd in Boston, sometimes even over the crowd that was at Enterprise Center. And it was, oh my God, they are mm-hmm. deafening. So it was, it was, and then you look at, um, the way the first period goes. I mean, uh, the Blues, they, I thought they came out with some pressure, uh, looked pretty good. And it was, you know, a little promising for St. Louis. But then Boston turned it on like we saw them do all throughout the playoffs. It was, you know, maybe they allow some chances early or maybe they allow some chances in the middle of the first, but then they just took over and dominated. And Colton Pareko takes that penalty. And we said on this show, we thought that was the dagger for the Blues. We thought that was going to be it. They're going to score on the power play here. Game over, series over, season over. And the Blues kill that off. And then obviously Ryan O'Reilly scores that big goal, deflects in Jay Bomeister's shot. Um, really a stunner, a cold, just a cold stunner for uh, all of Boston because they had dominated that first period. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I want to get your your thoughts. I mean, at that point, one nothing Blues after all you've seen from Boston, all they threw at Jordan Bennington, who had the game of his life. And is mm-hmm. a legend now in St. Louis just for that game alone. Um, that had to be heartbreaking to see the Blues go up one nothing after all the chances Boston had. Yeah, definitely was. The whole game was heartbreaking. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think from that goal on, they, it was just uh, it was just gone for the Bruins the way they were playing. And again, like I had said uh, about Cassidy turning the team around. Uh, between periods, it just it just didn't happen, and um, it w- it was possibly 
Uh, I mean, the Bruins started off the season with a 7 nothing loss to the Washington Capitals, uh, which was very rough. But that, that could have just been the worst worst game of the entire season, uh, that game seven. Uh, just in terms of, you know, ignoring the importance, but just like how they showed up, they they were one, two steps behind from there on out after that O'Reilly goal. Um, they just didn't show up. And I think that's what was so tough about embossing. You know, we went through that game six, uh, two goals, 17 seconds against Chicago, um, which was awful in its own right, just kind of the way it happened. But I think uh, this one, while maybe not as heartbreaking, was, you know, maybe even more anger, more disappointment, just because they didn't really show up. Um, they were just silent after that goal. Um, and the blues never looked back. And I think, uh, there was, there was definitely a lot of anger after that, just at the way they played, you know, if it was a close game, if it was a three, two, four, three, um, game, then I think, uh, you know, if the Bruins scored more than that, you know, last basically in the last two minutes, last three minutes, that goal, uh, if they've been able to get on the board, um, at some other point, I think, you know, there'd be a little bit of more acceptance, like, okay, uh, they showed up, but the Blues were the better team. They deserve it. But it, the feeling was just that the Bruins didn't deserve that at all. Um, they, just after that first goal, I can't emphasize enough how deflating that was. Um, you know, moving into the second period uh, with no scoring, I think everyone was itching, just get on the board, just get on the board, change the uh, change the tone of this game. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was rough. I haven't, I haven't talked about it in a little while, but oh. okay. Well, hold the tears back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no it, tears, it, just clenched fists, right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was. Uh, it was. I mean, it was honestly surprising. Once, once O'Reilly scores, you know, I mean, and we see this in hockey and all sports all the time. One team dominates, and then just somehow, some way, the other team finds a way to to get a goal or or uh, get a home run or whatever, you know, and it. It just it deflates the team that was playing so well to open the game, and mm-hmm. that's what happened. I mean, you're 100 percent correct on that. I thought the Blues really took advantage after that. I thought the Bruins still had a couple good chances there on the first, but I have to ask you about the Brad Marchand line line change. Um, that again, I talked about uh, Achari in uh, Game Five. This bothered me as a hockey player. I was, I like I said, I was at Enterprise Center. I watched the play. Um, and I go crazy, obviously, when Petrangelo scores on that backhand. But when I watched the replay, no, it was impossible. You could not hear the announcers in, inside Enterprise Center. Plus, I think they might have even turned them off to play the goal horn and stuff. But mm-hmm. I, I watched Marshawn. For some reason, my eyes were fixated on Marshawn. And I watched him skate to the bench after he gets blown by. And I know maybe he doesn't realize how much time's left on the, on the clock. Um, you know, his shift was over, whatever. I hated that play from Brad Marchand as a hockey fan and a hockey player. Um, I said then, and I, I still stand by this, I know he is your guy, but he's not had a good series. And your guy is in Boston's guy uh, <laughs> to score goals. Uh, he's not had a good series so far. And that was one of the worst plays I've ever seen him make yeah. uh, in terms of effort. I would have been, if I'm Cassidy, it's a bold move. But I'm sitting him for at least the first half of the second period after that. He didn't do that. He wanted the guy to go out there and score a goal. But And and I know Cassidy said he felt awful after the game. Uh, that's why we saw him in tears when the Blues were winning. But 
man, that is that is an atrocious play from a top player in the league. Yeah, I mean, in general, I have a lot to say about Marshawn, but that's <laughs> a topic for a uh, discussion for a different time. But uh, yeah, I mean, the announcers, of course, I'm sure, as you know, they showed so many replays and were just talking about it at post game. They're talking about, but like while it was live, uh, I remember just seeing him peel off camera and I was like, what is he doing? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? And um, and then obviously with the goal, I that was rough. It was the end of his shift. He had been out there for a little bit, but you got you got to know that this is game seven of the Stanley Cup final. Heck, in, in nearly any game, in a regular season game, that's not acceptable. You finish that shift when you're uh, when you're the opponent is going into your zone. Um, you got to be there to help your team defend that. Um, and it would have been one thing if he was behind the play a little bit more and. Uh, didn't have a chance to catch up and have a play on the puck, but he was clearly right there. Um, and you, you can't turn back at that point. Even if you're a step or two behind the play, you got to show effort and you got to do your best to get in there. And that was just, oh, that was awful. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it was it was just, like I said, I mean, obviously I was happy because the Blues capitalized, yeah. but I'm watching it was Marshawn. I mean. Exactly, yeah. The, the fact right? that it was Marshawn, yeah. it's like, oh, great, Marshawn screwed up. That makes me feel good. Um <laughs> But, you know, and I, I think back to like when I play now, granted, I know I'm men's league. I'm not, you know, I'm not an NHL player, but I know that when there's something going on like that, like I think of that moment, if it happened, you know, and uh, guys rushing up the ice, I'm going for a line change. Mm-hmm. My bench is probably shouting at me. Yeah. Hey, 10 seconds left. 10 seconds left. Just stay on the ring. Stay on the ring. Yeah, guys coming. Exactly. You know, so you got to think people are probably telling him, but he still goes for the line change. I mean, ugh, just all around, I thought. You know, as much as I want to hate on Brad Marchand, he's better than that. He's a better yeah. player than that. And that was a bad time for him to have such a, a, a bad mental gaffe. Yeah, no, I mean, one thing I'll say about Marchand, he is a smart player that does a lot of dumb things in terms of uh, <laughs> his antics. But in, in play, in situations like that, when you're just playing hockey, he's a very smart player. I mean, he's learned under Patrice Bergeron, who... I think many can agree is one of the best forwards in the league from a just a hockey IQ standpoint. Um, one of the best, uh, you know, two-way forwards, obviously O'Reilly's in that category and deservingly so. Um, but I think, uh, you know, he is a better player than that. Um, even if for, I mean, I would assume the bench was telling him to stay on, but even if someone, uh, if the bench was telling him to come off, I think you gotta, you gotta be aware of where you are in the ice, even if even if there's a few minutes left in the period, even if the period just started, you got to stay out in that situation when you see a scoring chance for the opposition coming up like that and you're still in a position where you can affect the outcome of that play. Uh, you got to stay in there, uh, especially Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final when it matters most. Um, and, you know, we can beat up on him all we want about that play. I'm sure he, he'll never forget that. Uh, no, I'm sure he will. Life and uh, hopefully, for his sake, doesn't make that mistake again. Right? Yeah, I, and I don't think he will. I think he probably learned his lesson. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> see him doing that in his career again. Um, so obviously, you mentioned the second period, no scoring. Uh, you know, Blues kind of do take it to him a little bit more. Tukarask coming up big, but uh, and and really at the time, Tukarask. I mean, he only pl- faced. 20 shots total in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember how many he had in the first period, but it was not many. Um, 
it was the Jordan Biddington show. And, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of moving ahead here to the third period, I want to talk about one particular play. Obviously, I thought Bennington had at least two huge saves in the first period. Yeah. But something I think Blues fans are going, and maybe even Bruins fans, when they talk about this series, that I'm going to refer to for the rest of my life as the save was the one on uh, Joachim Nordstrom there in the third period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as about a minute and a half, you, <laughs> you look away as you say that. Like, yeah. oh god! <laughs> I'm just gonna look out the window, and try to calm down a bit. <laughs> um, I mean, just an unreal save. If so, so those that may not remember it, which I don't know how you can't, uh, if you're a fan of either of these teams, Nordstrom gets the puck in front, uh, goes to his left, goes in the forehand, and Bennington uh, just spreads the leg across, makes the Big monster save. And then again, uh, just about a minute and a half, two minutes later, Braden Shen scores to make it 3 nothing. So that goal goes in. That is a completely different game. It's yep. a 2-1 game. Bruins have all the momentum with just a couple, with, with about half a period left. I mean, that, again, you talk about heartbreaking. Yes, the whole game is heartbreaking. But when that save happens, that was the minute that I looked at the people I was with and I said, they're going to do it. This is it. They're going to do yeah. it because that was that was a momentum killer for the Bruins, if you ask me. Yeah, I think, honestly, that was a similar feeling in Boston that they're going to do it. The Blues are going to do it. Um, yeah, Bennington just, you know, shut them out right away, even when the Bruins kind of had control at the beginning of that game. Um, he was just so strong, and, uh, you know, it was definitely a confidence booster that uh, first 10 minutes for the Bruins or so. Um, but the way Bennington was playing, you knew right then and there it was going to be a long game in that Tuka Rask has to have the best game of his entire career. He had carried the Bruins throughout the playoffs, but um, he needed to, to go above and beyond uh, those performances throughout the postseason. And uh, he had to match him. And I, I, Rask didn't have his worst game, but he, it wasn't his best either. Uh, you know, giving up four goals on 20 shots and uh it is, that was rough. That that Nordstrom chance really was, um, I think, a defining moment in that game. Because um, the Bruins had plenty of shots. What they had, uh, I have it in front of me somewhere. Um, the th- 33 30, shots 30 on three goal. in the game. Yeah. And, you know, there, there was no lack of shots. I think there's definitely a lack of, you know, second chances, um, you know, rebounds. I think it, Bennington was just on. Um which I going into the game, <clears throat> I was thinking as a uh, as a young goaltender, he would be under so much pressure and uh, perhaps you know fall uh, victim to that. And um, I think you know that just goes to show how good Bennington is at such a young age and how um, you know he'll be remembered. And I think how you could see the rest of his career playing out is just you know overcoming that pressure, overcoming. Um, you know, just a game seven, the Stanley Cup final in enemy territory. I think, uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough about how good he was during that game and the series in general. Um, you know, I was, I was hoping to chase him a few times in the series. That's what I was saying, uh, to my family and friends. I was like, let's go, let's just, uh, let's just put a bunch in and, uh, rattle him a bit. And, you know, despite getting pulled in that, uh, what was it? Uh, game three um, in that seven-two win, he came right back and was fine. And um, yeah, 
I'm rambling a bit about him, but that's the that's just how good he's been. He he was so good for them and tough to beat, tough pill to swallow in general. Um, but they just they just couldn't solve Bennington at all. No, he was he was something else, and and obviously the Blues go on to win that game four to one, win the series, and um, you know we we talk all day about how great Jordan Bennington was in that series and how good the Blues were and just how resilient they were. Again, that word comes up a lot with this team. Um, so blues celebrate on, on Boston ice, um, you know, come home on the plane that night, come back to St. Louis, but, uh, obviously Boston furious over this, uh, series for many reasons. And, you know, obviously can't blame them. They just lost a heartbreaker in game seven on home ice. Um, so the, you know, there's a lot of media reaction here. Um, and then obviously a lot of, of fan reaction on Twitter and Facebook and, uh, just disappointment all around. Um, First thing I want to uh, touch on with with kind of the, the the backlash that's happened here since the Stanley Cup final in Boston, as we record this in mid July. Um, first of all, the, there was a lot of talk on the Bruins, uh, the Bruins themselves, kind of letting their foot off the gas. That the there was one guy who said he doesn't want to hear him called the perfection line ever again because of their playing the Stanley Cup final. Brad Marchand, not the same type of player. Obviously, that whole line the uh, the with Bergeron and Pasternak, Pasternak in particular, a guy who I mm-hmm. truly respect, a guy who I think is uh, really one of the best, uh, most creative players in the league, yeah. um, really did not have a good series. He whiffed on multiple pucks. There was a couple times where he had a basically a wide open net on the power play or even even strength, and he just flat out fanned on the puck. Um, what what are the, what are the thoughts in Boston right now about? what this team needs to do to get back to the Stanley cup final. Yeah. In terms of Pasternak, you, you can't blame it all on injuries, but apparently it came out after the, uh, after the series that he was still struggling with uh, an injury to his thumb, um, which I think, you know, it, it provides a little bit of an excuse for, you know, his performance, but still you got to overcome that, uh, you really do. He's one of their best players and they needed him. And, uh, you know, he didn't come up big when it mattered most. I think that whole line throughout the playoffs really struggled. Um, I it, just look at their five on five stats. Uh, you know, the power play definitely inflated their statistics there. Uh, five on five, they were shut down, uh, not only by St. Louis, but by, uh, by basically every team they faced, I suppose maybe in the Carolina series, they had uh, a lot of free reign, but, uh, yeah, I remember, um, I was in Boston for the game. I was not in the garden. I was at a bar in Boston. Um, and my dad and my uncle have season tickets. So they were in the game. Me and my cousins were at this bar and we, um, North station, the train station there is inside the garden. So when we left the bar, we had to walk down to the garden. Um, and we basically left right after the loss was official. Uh, we were like, let's just get out of here. Let's catch the train, go home, sleep it off. And, uh, it was it was dead silent out there. Didn't really see a lot of people. Um, can only imagine what the scene would have been like if they won. Um, and you know, going out there, I, part of me was expecting you know just a lot of anger, a lot of shouting. Um, I mean, they had a full force of cops out there expecting that to happen in Boston, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it was dead quiet. I've never seen really uh, you know Causeway look like that. Um, so yeah, that was definitely somewhat sobering. It really sunk in then. It was like, wow, that's, 
that's how devastating it was from the aspect that the Bruins just had no, they, they really just didn't show up after the uh, first goal. And especially with every save Bennington made, they did get their fair share of chances, the Bruins, but with every big Bennington save, uh, you could tell just watching that the, the uh, crowd was just sucked out of it. And uh, yeah. And that train ride home, it was pretty quiet too. I, I think, I didn't go on Twitter after the game. I didn't uh, didn't listen to any radio. Didn't watch TV, uh, at least sports TV, for a week. It was just kind of like settling in, just trying to accept it. Um, yeah, definitely so tough. Um, yeah, a lot different than that uh, game six against Chicago in 2013, uh, but still uh, almost as devastating, just in different ways. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I wanted to ask you about Tuka Rask. Now, he's, mm-hmm. to me, again, this is somebody else we've talked about on this show a lot, um, a guy who we hold in high regard as a, as a really just a, a great goalie, a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve and um, just always comes up big. Now, like you said, Game 7, maybe not his best game, um, but, you know, still just so much reason for for where the Bruins were because of him. There were some people who said, they thought there was a chance that he would get the con Smythe, even if the Bruins lost. Um, so, but it seems like, and it's funny, he seems like kind of a maligned character when I uh, look up uh, stories on him from Boston bloggers or listen to podcasts from Boston people. Um, and then obviously Twitter, you know, mm-hmm. you read through that. Now Twitter is well, just a cesspool of negativity. Yeah. So let's, let's no, not no. even get into that. <laughs> but it does seem like Tuka Rask, is a maligned character in, in Boston. Why is that? I think, um, you know, it really goes back to that. Well, first of all, you got to start in 2011 where Tim Thomas gets the con Smythe, leads his team to Stanley Cup, and that's what he inherited once Thomas left. That's what Tuka Rask had to live up to um, throughout his time in Boston. Uh, and then you go to 2013, those two ga- uh, two goals in six seconds, um, it, it, that was really where people just started, uh, you know, just crapping on him and just kind of giving up on him. Um, and he had to deal with that from there, from 2013. I personally, and there's, there's many people who do think he is one of the best goalies in the league, um, from a skill standpoint, uh, he, he can be a bit streaky at times, but when he's on, he is one of the best goalies in the league. Um, and I think people just they his uh, haters just go silent when he has good games, um, and then they're obviously really loud when he has a bad one. And I think uh, you know throughout the playoff run, uh, you didn't see much of that hate. I think everybody was on board, um, and I don't think he's getting. I think he redeemed himself even without the cup. I think a lot of people were saying he needs the cup to kind of redeem his reputation in Boston. Um, but I think, I think he did it just the way he performed. Um, I don't think any of the blame can go on him. If it, if it weren't for how he played throughout the postseason, the Bruins wouldn't have made it past Toronto, um, yeah. at all. They wouldn't have made it past Columbus with that close series. Uh, they had a, they had a little wiggle room against Carolina, but, uh, and they wouldn't have even pushed it to a game seven, uh, against St. Louis. So he's really why the Bruins even had a chance. He had given them chances to win throughout the postseason. Um, and the offense just couldn't come up. They let him down. Um, all 18 skaters let him down, or I suppose even, uh, 20 plus skaters since the Bruins, uh, had so many players in that series, uh, 
due to or throughout the postseason due to injuries and such. Uh, yeah, I I think yeah he'll never get the credit he deserves fully. I think uh, for how good of a goaltender he's been just because of his track record in the playoffs. Um, but hopefully, a lot of people see him as being redeemed after that uh, postseason what's, run. What's the perception of uh, of former Blues captain David Back? Obviously, <clears throat> he he only played in four games. Yeah. He has not looked like the same player that we saw even three to four years ago. Um, what's uh, what's going to happen to him going forward? We know he's not going to be bought out, but uh, and also what's uh, what 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 is the thoughts of David Backus in Boston? Uh, personally, I I was kind of pulling for a buyout. Uh, just looking ahead at the Bruins cap situation, it wouldn't help them out. Uh, it wouldn't have helped them out this season much, but next season it really would. Where uh, there's, you can just look at it. Uh, you can look it up online. There's a lot to, of work to do in order to stay under that cap. Um, but yeah, from the get go, I mean, I was very excited when they signed him uh, to that six million uh, annual deal because um, I I had known about that because I had watched him in St. Louis and uh, thought he really fit the Bruins mo- uh, mold, the toughness, the leadership, uh, in the offensive capabilities. Uh, but he his career took a dive in Boston, and uh, after a couple seasons of that, everybody looked at it as uh, one of the worst signings that Sweeney, the general manager, had made. Um, that and Bolesky, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, – and I think, honestly, after that signing, too, of Bacchus, uh the Bruins really took a different approach when it came to free agency. They haven't made any big signings since, and I think – uh, Bacchus was really sobering for them, kind of realizing that you can't you, you can't go all out on a player uh, all the time. And uh, yeah, it's a rough one. I mean, I respect the guy for his leadership. Uh, I think, you know, there's many interviews, especially with the young players who say he's one of the most vocal players in that locker room and on that bench. Uh, and that's why he's an alternate captain. Um, but that aside, he just wasn't playing good enough to continue in that series. Uh, or even the postseason in general, uh, someone you thought was going to be a second liner when they signed him became a fourth liner, a third liner. He's played everywhere, and uh, he just hasn't really stuck. Um, it's sad to see because I really like him as a player, but uh, just just wasn't good enough to hang in there in the final. Um, so I want to we'll get to the end here. I I don't want to keep you too much longer there, yeah, uh, Drew. But but um, I uh, I, I want to ask you about just kind of perception of St. of the St. Louis blues. Now we, again, um, we mentioned that, uh, there was a lot of anger on Boston sports radio, which I think is probably a daily occurrence there. If you ask oh, me, I, I don't even listen to sports radio here. Trust me. It's good call. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, uh, the, the one show in particular that, that kind of made the rounds, uh, within a couple days of the blues winning the cup, Zolak and Botrand. I think it was Zolak mostly, um, who kind of lost the blues. Yeah. He, <laughs> He called them morons, Neanderthals, dopes, just just kind of went off about the Blues. And, uh, you know, it, it, you're going to get that every time a, a team loses a heartbreaking Game 7. But what is uh, – there's obviously going to be some hate there, you know, with any team that beats the Bruins in the Stanley Cup Final. Um, but looking at it, is there a public enemy number one right now with the Blues? Is it is it Bozak for the trip? Is it Bennington? Um, you know, is it a, a player like Maroon? Uh, if there was a public enemy number one, who would it be? 
I think it's O'Reilly from a respect standpoint. Uh, not a lot of hate, but just uh, just kind of a devastating. <laughs> he just had such a huge impact on that series. Um, and yeah, it's just so I, I would single him out and Bennington both from positive standpoints of just how good they played. I don't think there was a, really any one player that was seen as a villain um, in terms of dirtiness, in terms of playing physically, anything like that. Um, and I, I, there's definitely some throughout each of the series the Bruins had gone through prior to the Stanley Cup final, which I thought was pretty unique. Um, and yeah, I, like I said, I just avoided all sorts of sports media after that loss. So I didn't even know that occurred to be honest, but I believe it for sure. I think, I think a lot of people are on the track now, though, um, and even some of my friends and family had said it after, uh, which we haven't touched on, but Layla Anderson, um, that kind of, you know, cushioned it a little bit, and it's like at least some good, uh, you know, in that sense came from it, more than just, you know, the city of St. Louis getting their cup, but uh, there was even more cushion there. Um, I think it would have been a similar feeling with the Sharks with Joe Thornton, um, obviously a former Bruin. Um, so yeah, I think there was a lot of outrage right at the beginning, but then it settled in and people are more accepting. Uh, and personally, as someone from Boston, who's experienced many, many championships, uh, personally, I trade some of the Patriots Super Bowls for a Stanley Cup or two, but that might just be me, but enjoy it. St. Louis. Uh, it's an amazing feeling. Um, and one that might not come around too often. Uh, we're fortunate here in Boston, but, uh, yeah, enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it. That's that's something that uh, uh, my my circle of friends, mostly hockey players, have all said, and I've even talked to a couple pretty big Cardinals fans, like bigger Cardinals fans than Blues fans, mm-hmm. that agree with this sentiment that that I would trade multiple World Series wins oh, yeah. for a Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. and and it's funny because the Cardinals are just terrible right now. And so it's funny because I'm like, Hey, we got what we wanted, right? Like we probably won't see another world series win now because we saw a Stanley cup win and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Cardinals fans was, yeah, you know what? That's right. Yeah. uh, The blues won the cup. Let's not be too upset. So it it has kind of worked out here to, to finally be able to see it. And uh, man, it was, uh, it has been kind of nice. Like, you know, like you said first, which I don't blame them one bit Bruins fans. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of angst. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know like, like our friend, uh, Mark Allred of the black and blue podcast, um, they've all black come out <laughs> black and gold. Did mm-hmm. I say black and gold. Oh, wow. Oh boy. Marks don't kill me. It's okay. Um, it's just all the blues frame of mind. It's all good. Yeah. Right. It's, all, it's still all fresh in my head as I wear my blues gear as we yeah, talk exactly, right now. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, um, it, the black and gold podcast, like all of those, these kind of people have come out in the last couple weeks now and have said, you know, it's awesome to see what's happening in St. Louis. You know, yeah. we, we talk all the time. I mentioned it at the uh, open of some shows, how it's been so cool just going around the city. Like I'm, I've been wearing my blues hat uh, pretty much every time I go out, which, you know, has always been the case. But mm-hmm. um, I, whenever I wear it out now, people, you know, it, it's July and people walk up to me and say, hey, go blues, play Gloria. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, it's really cool to witness. So you're right. Like the atmosphere, the feeling you have after your team finally does it. Uh, you, obviously, your team, your Boston Bruins did that. 
uh, in 2011. Um, so you know what it's like. It's just yeah. a, an unbelievable feeling. Mm-hmm. And to be able to be in the city while it's happening, um, it's it's truly just something you'll never forget. So I'm yep. sure that the loss hurts, but at the same time, in your lifetime, you have seen a Stanley Cup. And as you said, you've seen plenty of sports championships in Boston. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, your team will probably have another chance again next year and the year after. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, best of luck to you and the Bruins, not the Blues now that the series is over, I have no problem saying that. So yeah. <laughs> good luck to them. And honestly, I wish nothing but but good for David Backus. Uh, I yeah. know that oh, uh, same, same. he was a bad, much-hated character for the Blues uh, with some of his comments um, during the series. But former captain of the Blues, I hope it works out for you guys because I know that uh, that contract does not look so good right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Drew, this, uh, well. <laughs> this was uh, this was a lot of fun, and obviously, reliving the Stanley Cup final for me is still a blast. So, sorry <laughs> I made you go through that. <laughs> no, it's all good. Like I said, it's like therapy. That's right. <laughs> a little bit of closure right. there at the end. Huh? There you go. Maybe <laughs> you'll walk out of here with a smile on your face finally. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Drew, I really appreciate you coming on and talking Blues and Bruins with me. Um, if there's obviously people can find your work at thehockeywriters.com. Uh, you're a Boston Bruins correspondent, so just go to the Bruins page. You got plenty of good stuff up there. And um, but but if people want to interact with you, maybe if you if you your work's featured anywhere else, uh, take plenty of time now to to tell my listeners where they can find your work and how they can interact with you on social media. Yeah, definitely. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, Doobshmoob, which I get a lot of praise for that name. I just like Doob the rhyme. Doobshmoob. Uh, that's D O O B S H M O O B. And yeah, if you just want to, if you want to talk hockey, if you just want to joke around, I throughout the postseason, I mainly just joked around. I let the, uh, you know, the, uh, everybody else kind of do the uh, complaining and also the celebrating. I just kind of joked around, which I like to do a lot, not take it too seriously until I put pen to paper, so to speak. So, uh, but yeah, you can uh, also see me promoting my work there and yeah, just go to the hockey writers, uh, scroll down to the Bruins page and uh, you'll find work for me and a bunch of great writers there. Everybody on that team uh, puts a lot of work into their writing. So definitely check it out. Yeah, I mean, as a former uh, hockey writer myself for the Hockey Writers, that uh, is a great site to check out for hockey coverage, all kinds of um, collaboration and just uh, um, wonderful, wonderful writers there. So, yeah, I definitely want to give them praise. Doob is that a uh, is that a nickname for you? Um, Doob was in high school. We all my friends had nicknames. I don't know how it ended up being that for me, but then I just. Uh, for my Twitter, I just went along with it, uh, found a way to keep uh, numbers out of it, I suppose. I don't know. Um, I thought it looked pretty clean, so I just kind of rolled with it. I think uh, there, there's just been a lot. Whenever I've been on a podcast, it tends to get joked about. And uh, even some people over at the Hockey Writers have just started calling me dubs instead of uh, instead of my real name. So uh, I'm fine. I can trademark it or... Uh, copyright or you know something you like go. that i'll have to get a lawyer but uh when can we expect the doobshmoo podcast oh uh <laughs> that would be cool i'd love to do that um <laughs> i love you know being a guest on podcasts especially this one this was great so thank you for having me on but yeah 
Of course. Yeah. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate it. And um, again, good luck to the Bruins, just uh, as long as they're not playing the Blues in the Stanley Cup final. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Same to you. Well, I again want to thank Drew for coming on. I know that, uh, as we said, that was a little bit of therapy for him, so I appreciate him still coming on and, and talking. Uh, as I said, this was uh, recorded just a couple days ago, so thank you again, Drew, for reliving those awful moments but uh, letting us Blues fans remember it all uh, so fondly. Twitter handles for the show. Check us out on Twitter for the show handle at LGB Radio. You can find your three hosts at Kurt Price. That's Kurt Price. At Billy Blue Note is Bill Day. And at JPonder94 is myself, Jeff Ponder. Next episode will be Thursday, July 18th. I welcome in Doug Stolhand of the Puck Podcast, and we talk blues and Anaheim Ducks history. So if you've ever listened to the Puck Podcast, you know how good of a job and how much homework Doug puts into every episode. He did the same uh, for coming on our show. So I uh, don't want to miss that one. Well, that will conclude this episode. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again to Drew for coming on and talking Stanley Cup final. And until next time, everyone, let's go Blues. Play Gloria. Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. Have a great day. Play dance. I'm rocking and rolling.